This podcast is provided for general information only and assumes a certain level of knowledge of financial markets. It is not an invitation to make an investment and should not be construed as advice. The views in this podcast are those of the contributors at the time of publication and do not necessarily reflect those of Investec Asset Management. The value of investments can fall as well as rise and losses may be made. Two weeks ago, I spoke to Philip Saunders, who's the co-head of multi-asset growth at Investec Asset Management in London. We spoke about China, his enthusiasm for the country, for its growth path and for its potential investments for people like you and me. And that almost coincided with the start of the 19th Congress of the Communist Party of China, which ended this morning. On the telephone now again is Philip Saunders. Over the last six days, Philip Saunders, have you seen anything that changed your mind, sort of dampened your enthusiasm for this country? I think probably quite the contrary. I think that clearly President Xi has, as expected, if you like, sort of won the battle against the other factions within the sort of upper echelons of the Communist Party. And, you know, this People's Congress was all about him you know, solidifying his position as, you know, one of the most significant leaders in China. So you've had Mao Zedong, Deng Xiaoping, and now President Xi, who is, as I said before, a man with a plan. And his plan is a pretty socialist plan, that, uh, you know, on the face of it, may not be a particularly positive development. And however, he certainly has a plan for, if you like, dealing with the challenges that China faces and setting it on a path to overcome those challenges and to continue to develop the economy. Quite right. It says here the Congress approved amendments to the party's constitution to incorporate Chinese President Xi Jinping's theory of governance of modern China. Is he becoming too powerful? This is the question. Was there any hint of a successor, anyone that he's grooming, or is he looking for another five years and maybe even more after that, if he's allowed to? I think he's in it, in it for the long run in order to see this transition through. And I think he's very clearly focused on the history books. And he is extremely serious about developing China you know, along socialist lines, i.e. that the economy basically ultimately has to work for, um, for for individuals in society. And he talked a lot about unbalanced growth and how what he needed to do in order to make growth more balanced. And this obviously means less pollution. It means uh, better capital discipline, capital productivity and so forth. And that means big supply side reforms. It means that the state-owned enterprises now have to genuinely kowtow to this man who is insisting that they use capital more efficiently and uh, consolidate in a way that they haven't seen before. So a pretty ambitious plan of supply side reforms, which, you know, most political leaderships in other economies have never really managed that. So it's quite an ambitious plan, too. The Congress approved amendments to the party's constitution to incorporate Chinese President Xi Jinping's theory of governance of modern China. The theory, codenamed Xi Jinping, thought on socialism with Chinese characteristics in a new era, nice and catchy, will inform the party's philosophy of governing the world's second largest economy for the next five years. All past Chinese leaders, it goes on to say, ideologies on governance have been enshrined in the Communist Party of China's constitution. Founding leader Chairman Mao Zedong's thought is one of the most compelling in the party's character. Now, according to the statement, the Congress urged party members to put the thought 
into action throughout the drive towards China's socialist modernization and in every dimension of party building. There is a certain disturbing nature to what I've just read because as China becomes more powerful, it's almost as though they're becoming more autocratic where the country is almost becoming more domineering and sort of state focused, if you see what I mean. I think arguably, in order to change gear in the way that it has to, but because the key thing is this, that it it simply is too big to continue to pursue the uh, sort of pursue production driven growth. It's just too big. The world can't accommodate that. So it needs to generate its own consumer demand. And so that means that uh, where certain aspects of consumers' lives are going to be profoundly controlled, it means that consumerism, you know, effectively is uh, is going to be given fairly free reign. And simply because the Chinese economy has to rebalance. I think there's a big emphasis on technology and innovation. And obviously, the sort of goals of eliminating poverty and protecting the environment also sort of come through as well. So in order to do this, they've concluded that or Xi has concluded that they need more centralized top down control which is anathema to Western development models, which is all about liberalization and democracy, et cetera, et cetera. But there's no one system. So in a way, this is sort of like Singapore on a giant scale. Yes, a very giant scale indeed. Will it usurp the United States when it comes to the productive side of its economy? I think it's already the biggest economy in the world if you take five or six different metrics. But do you think within the next decade or so, it will be in terms of production bigger than the United States? Yes, potentially, yes. And um, in aggregate, obviously, uh, per capita wealth and income is going to lag. But Obviously, Chinese, China is much more populous than, than America. So it's sort of, you know, basically a question of numbers. And the growth rate, even if it does reduce, which is likely, so it's currently somewhere in the 60s. And, you know, progressively, I think that uh, they will let it moderate. Obviously, the economy is much larger. So maintaining a sort of 10% rate of growth, you know, has just been, in order to do that, you've got to sort of really let rip in terms of, you know, credit creation, et cetera. So clearly they're, they're, not, they're not going to do that. So the actual growth rate will moderate, but it will still be two or three times the level of the U.S. and other developed economies. Any danger that Mr. Trump will sort of instill this power-mad mentality in China and China will be laughing at him. The 2,000 delegates will be saying, well, this is all we've got to contend with here, apart from big tech and a couple of car companies and a little bit of a primary industry in the United States, failing primary industries. All we've got to do now is just take advantage of this vacuum that's being created, which we've spoken about before. But is there any danger that become a little bit too, a little bit too, as I said, power-mad and start to lose track? Or are they too focused for that? Well, I think that uh, they clearly now have more of an international focus and the whole One Belt, One Road initiative is all about that. It's uh, you know, not accepting the primacy of, uh, international, of American-sponsored international organizations like the IMF and the World Bank. They're determined to sort of, if you like, sort of go their own way. And that represents a significant threat to the American world order and which the good Mr. Trump seems to want to amplify by sort of pushing America in more and more of an isolationist position. Actually, the 
I think the Chinese find it sort of somewhat amusing that um, that President Xi has has had to sort of come up through the ranks, if you like, within the Communist Party. Yes. So he's had a lot of experience in actual government at a variety of different levels, but from the most sort of menial to uh, to obviously now the, the the paramount position. Trump's had no experience at all. And so who would you back in those, given the choice? You don't need to ask that question. You know my views on Mr. Trump, even without the uh, comparison between himself and President Xi. But I think what we should do now is end the conversation as we ended the last one. How does one take advantage of what you see as an ever-growing force, economic force and potentially market force as well? You tend to think laterally and say, well, we can't, we don't want to invest directly in Chinese stocks for whatever reason it is, but we have to look at stocks or asset classes that benefit from the Chinese growth story, which incidentally, since we last spoke, has been released at 6.8% year on year versus the previous month's 6.9%. Yes, to coincide with the uh, party congress. That's, uh, I mean, I think you've got to take uh, these numbers with a, with a considerable pinch of salt. No, I think that the Chinese assets are investable, actually. Uh, I think they've become progressively more investable. And in the sort of slower but higher quality growth environment, I think that there are a number of Chinese companies that look very attractive. And I think quite a lot of them are you know, effectively classified as old China companies rather than the ones that we're pretty familiar with, like Tencent and Baidu and Alibaba. So I think China is becoming more investable, but we have to bear in mind that their number one priority is not allowing international investors to make lots of profits, uh, or indeed local investors to make lots of profits. It's to advance socialism. So I think we have to sort of temper our enthusiasm uh, with, with that. Yeah. However, if China does handle this transition effectively, that means that uh, it will sustain a pretty impressive growth rate, which will provide be supportive for global growth, and it will be supportive, it will keep commodity prices higher than they would otherwise have been, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. So I think that actually, yes, uh, looking for externally listed beneficiaries of a new growth paradigm in, in China is going to be a sort of source of happiness from an investment returns perspective. Have you been to China, Philip? Yes, I have. What was your impression? I mean, if you just took off your uh, asset management hat, would you have said, even if I were not an asset manager, I'd like to become one and focus my attentions on this country because it's fascinating? I think it is fascinating. It's uh, profoundly polluted at the moment, so it's not a great place to live in. But that can change a lot, as we've seen historically. I mean, London after the war was, um, you know, beset with, you know, this appalling smog and pea supers and all that kind of stuff. Yes. So you can deal with these problems given given a period of time, and that's clearly a priority to them. But I think that um, you know venture capital in China is very interesting. I think being in the private economy is, has has quite a lot of advantages, and its economic growth is going to be more meaningful. And I think we can see the future in China. If you go to Taiwan, for example, you can see some big, the big inland cities. And they're clean, they're prosperous, you know, there's a dominant middle class, and peaceful, safe. And I think a large number of Chinese cities are going to end up in exactly the same position if they're not there already. Philip, thank you very much for your insight this evening. That's Philip Saunders, who's the co-head of multi-asset growth at Investec Asset Management in London. In South Africa, Investec Asset Management is an authorised financial services provider.